The following program is presented by the National Committee on United States-China Relations, www.ncuscr.org. Okay, thanks very much, Jan. Uh, I do want to thank our partners in this program tonight, the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations and uh, the New York Consulate uh, for bringing to our attention OBOR, or the Belt and Road Initiative, as it's sometimes called. Arguably, uh, maybe not even arguably now, but uh, you know what many people consider the, the defining concept, the defining um, strategy or initiative in all of Chinese foreign policy uh, these days. And so I think we're very fortunate to have uh, this panel tonight to help us better understand uh, where some of the, uh, the initiative is coming from, where some of the, what the, some of the main drivers of OBOR have been, uh, and help us to better understand uh, some of the questions that many people are asking around the world about OBOR, uh, some of the concerns, uh, some of the questions related to how will the benefits of OBOR be distributed, how will the, the, the costs uh, be distributed, who will bear the risks, who will bear the, the financial risks, but among other non-financial risks, uh, are uh, as part of the India-China Institute, I, I should also note the obvious, which is that I think uh, Indian, the Indian government anyway, and many other people in India uh, are probably uh, the most concerned among the states in the region about uh, the, the motivations and uh, intentions behind OBOR. Um, so with that, I will now turn it over to uh, Director General Liang, uh, who will, uh, I think, uh, introduce, uh, well, we don't need to have the panel introduced because as Jan said, we have the, you, you've got a sheet as you're coming in. Uh, but uh, Director General Liang will speak for uh, several minutes and then I think the instructions to the panelists have been to keep it as short as possible so that we'll have uh, well over a half hour, hopefully, for questions from the audience. Thank you very much. Okay. Okay, thank you. Uh, 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 and uh, Mrs. Uh, uh, Mrs. Janis and uh, Professor Brazier and uh, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, first of all, thank you very much for having us here to discuss with you, you know, the uh, Belt and the Road in Initiative with you today. Uh, as you know, you know, China had a, held a very successful uh, uh, Belt and the Road Forum uh, for international cooperation in May. Uh, it gathered around, you know, 29 heads of states uh, in Beijing and uh, over 1,500 delegates from uh, over uh, 130 countries. So it's a very successful event. And at the opening session, uh, you know, His Excellency President Xi Jinping uh, delivered a keynote speech called the Work Together to Build the Silk Road uh, Economic Belt and the 21st Maritime Silk Road. Uh, I think which uh, greatly inspired the audience and will uh, resonate with uh, people around the world for the, for, the days to come, for the years to come. I think in his speech, you know, President Xi uh, actually summarized what we have achieved in the last four years since the, this initiative uh, was uh, first put forward. I think uh, it can be better, you know, characterized as the uh, remarkable progress made in the in the, in the improved connectivity in five major areas, that is the policy coordination, infrastructure uh, facilities, uh, trade, finance, and people-to-people -people ties. I think the uh, pr uh, President Xi uh, called on us to you know to actually to further. Uh, advance the you know the the Belt and Road in Initiative by uh, work working together with the with the countries around the world you know to build five roads, i.e. the road of uh, peace, the road of uh, uh, openness, the road of innovation, and the road of uh, prosperity and the road of uh, of uh, civilization. So all leading to the establishing uh, a community. Uh, with the shared uh, destiny. Uh, so, uh, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the, the common theme of the Belt and the Road Initiative is the wide consult consultation, uh, joint contribution, and the shared benefits. So it is an open, you know, inclusive, and a transparent initiative. So I think so. That's why 
we, you know, as a uh, as a team, uh, why we uh, come to the uh, to New York uh, this for this trip to just to share with you, you know, uh, our perspective or our thoughts on this uh, initiative, and also we would like to hear what you think or what's your perspective and observations on this initiative. In particular, you know, uh, we can have a uh, you know, common understanding on how we can work together in the future to have a better execution of this uh, initiative. So I think that's the basic background you know, for, the, for, the, for the Belt and Road Forum and the trip of, the, of, of, our, of, our, of our team. So uh, I think uh, I will ask my colleague to have a very uh, short uh, introduction of their, uh, their observations on the initiative. Then we will be very happy to take questions. Thank you. Maybe uh, Professor Jia from uh, Peking University. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to be uh, here in New York. Uh, I want to thank the National Committee, also uh, the New School, for hosting us. Um, I actually started working on the project as a team of Beta that was at the request of Deputy Prime Minister Wang Qishan when he was running the Chinese economy, right in the wake of the, Asian financial, uh, of the Wall Street financial crisis. This was called the China 2025 project. The Belt and Road idea emerged out of such studies. We basically observed that you have aging, you have protectionist um, sentiments. This is way before Brexit. Uh, in Japan, in the United States, in Western Europe. So the old model of the Chinese growth, which has four steps, meaning you import raw materials, you focus on uh, manufacturing and employment at home, you export your products and earn hard currency, the whole cycle starts again. That model was running into problem. And we see this in the ever declining amount of sales in the uh, Canton Fair, the Guangzhou Trade Fair, no matter how much we subsidize, frankly speaking. So the Belton Road is not about getting rid of spare capacity in steel or selling one more ton of steel if we cannot sell to the United States to other parts of the world. So it's about growth. It's about spurring demand from somewhere. Frankly speaking, it's more like China playing the role of the United States when the US went to China back in the early 1970s. We were a country that could only afford bicycles. But after several years of trying, we can now afford to buy new airplanes. And of course, we are also trying to uh, build new, new planes. So we hope to turn some economies into little Chinas, which means that the uh, prospect of the Belt and Road uh, relies as much on China as it relies on the other parties. Those that are willing to uh, participate, that share the uh, uh, vision, but at the same time, you have, you would need three legs to keep a store even. The third leg would have to be the United States, uh, Europe, and elsewhere. That's why, where if you look at official sources from the Chinese government, the so-called Belt and Road does not have a real map. We, you know, it's really it's an invitation on the table, frankly speaking. It's not a plan. It's an initiative, and. I will say one more thing, then I stop. You are looking at me. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm listening. In terms of the greatest obstacle, as I see it, as an academic who's being involved in some of this uh, conceptualization, is that the Chinese idea probably risks being a little bit too much, uh, leaning too heavily on projects rather than rules. There will be failures. There will be disputes. So what are the rules that apply? Is it the New York Convention you know, on Business Arbitration, or is it the Washington Convention on Investor-State Disputes? China needs to make it clear this is not 
a bailout. We have no responsibility to bail out anybody. We don't want regime change, nor do we want a regime liability anywhere around the world. And we made some mistakes in the past. The, the, the very last word I would say in response to uh, what Mark um, said about the Indian concerns, uh, actually, uh, if you look at uh, AIIB, that's the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank, it's barely two years old. It, you know, now the, we have a record of what kind, who the, uh, what kind of projects AIIB actually financed in the past. Very tiny amount of money in comparison with ADB or World Bank. 30%, 3-0, not 1-3, 3-0. of AIIB funds thus far went to one country and one country only, and that country is India. Thank you. Maybe uh, Professor Wang, yeah, uh, brief you, introduction. Yeah. Uh, my name is Wang Wang. I'm from the Chongyang Institute for Management Study, based on the Lemming University of China. Um, I'm very honored to, to New York uh, again, because uh, uh, as we all know, that in the world, so many people admire New York. They consider New York as a capital of the world. Why? Because New York often, always, had the strong and huge capacity to find the opportunity for earning money because you have the Wall Street, right? And especially in the past 40 years, you find the China opportunity. Most of those, uh, most of the investors who uh, find an opportunity of the China uh, reform and opening up uh, period, they earn money, right? in the past uh, 40 years, since the 1978 uh, of the Deng Xiaoping period. And then, how do New York can keep the sustainable medical for earning money always? It depends on New York can find the next wave opportunity. So in my opinion, the next wave opportunity is the one belt one dot initiative to my honest, frankly speaking. Because uh, we look at the, all the uh, reality of the one bill one region, China really gets a lot of money. But the problem is we still face a lot of challenges. So I, I think that uh, every day I read the uh, newspaper, uh, US newspaper, especially the Wall Street Journal or, 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 or Washington Post or New York Times, I think they have two very interesting uh, phenomena. That is, uh, most of the reporting of the U.S. newspaper or public opinion, they uh, overestimate China's strategic uh, ambition of the world order. So I, I totally agree with uh, Professor Josh that, that uh, China has no such a deep or, or sophisticated sophisticated uh, strategy ambition to want to uh, or change the, the world order instead of the US. I think that's an overestimate. And on the other hand, that is US uh, public opinion, especially in those media, um, underestimate the cooperation of potential between uh, China and US in one way or one road region. So I think that in the future, uh, China has uh, enough money, enough technology, enough maybe uh, labor, but U.S. U.S. has the uh, security protection capacity. U.S. has the uh, enough management experience. So I think that's a it's a totally uh, complementary uh, potential uh, cooperation potential. So I think that's our new opportunity. New York should find the new wave opportunity for our two countries in the future. So this is my uh, very brief uh, presentation for you. So I, I'd like to answer any question. Thank you. Okay, Professor Chai from uh, Peking University. Thank you. <coughs> uh, I'm Jack from PQ. Uh, first, I would like to say some thanks to the National Committee because I'm a member of YLF. It's a sponsor by National Committee, the Youth Leader Forum, 
member of that. So I learned a lot from our uh, young leads. So the second, I'd like to share some observations about OBR. Uh, so according to my own observation, so I think China would like to effect a more constructive role of US for OBR. So uh, American, so some people believe American have nothing to do with OPR, but it, it's not true. So for American, uh, I think there are some views uh, can be cooperated with China. Uh, for example, the first, uh, some strategic coordination, because OPR may be the most important initiative or strategy of China. So what was the response to America? Uh, President Xi just uh, talked with uh, Trump in April. So Xi called on uh, cooperation on the framework of OBR. And then uh, in, May, in the middle of May, a working group attended uh, BRF, uh, Belt and Forum. So maybe it's a, a very low level coordination. So maybe today there there is a, a strategic or security uh, dialogue between China and the US. So I think the overall issue should be uh, in such kind of uh, level. The second, the second cooperation field may be area studies. So Americans have very strong area studies. Uh, but China needs uh, uh, more comprehensive area studies because of the OBR related to so many countries and so many regions. So China can learn, but it may be different from American area studies. The third, third field may be China can learn some lessons and experience from American history towards uh, the different regions. But also maybe China can seek some business opportunity partners because in South Asia, South Asia, and uh, in our countries, uh, there are a lot, a lot of uh, business opportunities. Uh, it's, not, it, it, it's not China's, uh, it, it not only China's opportunity, it, all the, the opportunities also belong to other countries like uh, US. So, we are facing uh, such big market why not cooperate to develop new opportunities. So I will start here. Okay. Thanks very much to, to everyone, uh, both for the, the substance and for the, the concise uh, manner in which uh, all that substance was delivered. Um, I wanted to just uh, uh, take a quick uh, moment here as, as Chair's prerogative to, to add something that, to, to what uh, Dr. Jai just said. Uh, which is that India-China Institute, um, in, in your line with your thinking about uh, area studies being an important part, uh, great to hear, uh, which we, we haven't heard much endorsement of area studies uh, in the United <laughs> States, certainly, and at U.S. universities, but uh, the India-China Institute, I was saying, last month we had a, a program in which there were nine scholars uh, from, from Chinese universities, Indian universities, and a few from American universities. Uh, who were engaged in uh, doing area studies research on you know, the other country from which they were coming, the Chinese scholars uh, looking at, at India and vice versa. And uh, a good, I, certainly three, arguably four out of the nine were doing research on OBOR uh, in different ways, one on urbanization, one on uh, religious uh, implications and migration. So I think uh, I, I just wanted to mention uh, that program of ours and to say that I really appreciate the endorsement of area studies. Uh, but one thing, this is to all the panelists, including uh, Director General Liang, um, I think in one way or the other, you all four mentioned how the US and the EU have, a, have an important role to play, the third leg of the, of the stool. Um, and could you elaborate a little bit more on that? Um, by which, do you mean um, uh, the government? Do you mean uh, corporations? And in particular, um, I guess my specific question would be, to what extent are European uh, American uh, construction and infrastructure companies, I'm thinking of General Electric among others, uh, to what extent will they be eligible to uh, provide equipment ranging from, you know, uh, 
earth moving infrastructure <laughs> to high tech uh, turbines and, and dams and this sort of thing? Uh, or will this be, as, as it has been reported sometimes in the uh, not always accurate uh, uh, press uh, in, in the West and elsewhere, that uh, this will be uh, almost exclusively for uh, Chinese uh, companies, Chinese state-owned enterprises in particular? Okay, maybe I can have a quick response to uh, Professor uh, Fraser's uh, question. Uh, uh, I, I think, uh, uh, you know, for those uh, uh, infrastructure and uh, manufacturing projects uh, that CDB or other Chinese banks uh, would like to finance, uh, with regard to the procurement policy, I think we do not have a, you know, explicit uh, you know, requirement that uh, it must be done by Chinese companies. It's actually an open, you know, process or it's an open um, uh but, uh, of course, the result is that uh, a lot of uh, these projects uh, actually will be supplied by Chinese uh, um, you know, uh, companies. Is that uh, it's actually, you know, uh, because, you know, we know that, the, you know, the equipment of GE or, you know, uh, other American companies, of course, are very high, uh, high uh, better quality. Uh, but of course, the cost is higher. You know, it's more expensive. So it's a kind of the cost and the benefits uh, analysis. So it's uh, the final. I think the, the 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 decision will be made by the uh, the project sponsor or the you know the. So we as a bank, uh, we uh, generally we we always require that those projects can be uh, completed on a timely. Uh, fashion, you know, uh, and of course in a more uh, economic, affordable way, so that will actually make our loan uh, safer. So, thank you. Any? Uh, well, it's hard to answer this question because WTO and other multilateral rules talk about government procurement. And now comes a situation, as is the case in Europe, where the EU demands that if any Chinese investment goes into any EU member state, then other member states, even if they are not investing, should have equal rights in the procurement process. And this invariably gets a little challenging because you have standards, you have uh, different legislative process, and should uh, a non-investor, just because it's part of a European Union, be having veto power over an infrastructure project in another member state? I'm more specifically speaking about the railway project from Serbia to uh, connecting Serbia and Hungary, and which is basically now left in limbo because Brussels demands procurement, uh, so-called transparency. So that's what I was going referring to in terms of rules. Um, the I would say for U.S. EU, the again one of the things you uh, we want to invite you folks to observe, and if not accept, is that. This is not going to be a Chinese government aid-based project. This is, you know, as we said, this has to be uh, an invitation. The participating entities, I'm not saying just countries, have to step up with their share of the contribution. And certainly, we learned a lot of lessons from the old policy, old practice of doing what's called turnkey projects, meaning the finance, the, the uh, EPC, engineering, procurement, construction, and the consequences are all done by the Chinese. Uh, the turnkey projects are usually an invitation to problems, including corruption and including debt reason projects. So we want to get away from that, and that's why we created the AIIB that's supposed to you know, try to internationalize it. That's why his bank and others continue to work 
with, uh, for example, the MIGA, the Multilateral Investment Guarantee Agencies. Or, uh, so uh, the finance is part of how US and EU entities can participate, joint financing. And we need, frankly speaking, uh, a lot of these counseling, a lot of these advisory work, because many of these uh, economies we want to see growth in Africa, let's say even in Southeast Asia. They have a longer history of relating to their former colonies than to, uh, to China. And their elites, their educational institutions, their basic standard legal frameworks are still from the old days before they uh, gained independence. And that's why China signed um, cooperation framework agreement with uh, France to work together in Franco-Africa. And we did likewise in Korea. This is meant, uh, with Korea, this is meant to work together both in Central Asia and also in Southeast Asia. With Britain, certainly, we have a longer history with Britain working in Africa. And hopefully with the United States as well. Uh, the United States everywhere around the world. And last, the last point is about US corporations. And one of the things I would think uh, GE could be contemplating you know, doing is to see what Airbus is doing. Now, Airbus uh, assembles some of its airplanes in Tianjin. And as you know, airplane usage, maintenance, and what else uh, requires a good deal of training. So Airbus and Chinese entities work very closely together to train Africans and others uh, so that they could start buying the Airbus assembled in China and to exporting to those pro uh, parts of the world. Um, you, you can all, the last word I want to say, and this is, a, you know, not trying to uh, be provocative just for the sake of it. You can be on a standby, you can complain, you can, you know, keep saying this is suspicious, that's fine, you know. <laughs> No doubt about it, but this is an open-ended invitation. I do believe uh, the, you know, the Americans are not short of ingenuity. You know, have good, solid confidence in yourself, step up and work with us. Why not? Just one example, you yes, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just work with us. Yeah. Just one example, as a, you know, for the our bank's financing. I actually, I, I just, uh, the, you know, to tell you an example is, uh, uh, we financed actually we led a syndication to finance the Hinkley Point uh, nuclear power station in the UK, which actually the 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 the, uh, the equipment is actually uh, supplied by the French company. So. That's why you know we are not uh, you know based, it's based on actually the, as I said costs and benefits. So it's a definitely there opportunities for the GE and the Caterpillar you know also of American companies maybe. I think I, I, I'd like to add my personal feeling about the infrastructure because because uh, today this is my uh, fourth stop uh, and uh, every time I was in the way uh, I was in the car I feel very sick. Sick. Oh. because of the load. You know, the, the car <laughs> always young by running. And always I feel very sick, stomach sick. You know. I, I always think, why? Well, this is my many times in New York, but every time, why the load is so bad? Why you, uh, you upgrade your, your, your load in structure? My honest, friendly speaking, I just give you the very uh, frank uh, suggestion. You, you, you should feel very comfortable when you drive or when you're in the car, right? But the, the load, that's why I, in this point, I, 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 I don't like President Trump, but in this point, in the, in the infrastructure point, I support President Trump. Because President Trump said we should upgrade the infrastructure of the United States, right? Especially in New York. New York is the capital of the world. So uh, back, to, back to the cooperation in the co infrastructure, I think that uh, maybe U.S. Could uh, you know uh, welcome those China infrastructure company to, to to help you your city to upgrade the infrastructure? Yeah. And second thing that I think very good of thing, when I was in uh, DC, 
all the think tank scholars, all think tank colleagues, they uh, they criticize uh, President Obama. They criticize Obama didn't uh, 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 participate the AIB. So I think in the future, <laughs> maybe uh, uh, last, uh, yesterday, President Jing uh, Liqun, uh, who is the governor of the AIB, he talked about again that uh, AIB always opened the door for the US. And the US can join the AIB, and we can cooperate in the infrastructure, uh, uh, infrastructure here. And uh, we cooperate to, to, to invest in infrastructure in the third country, especially for those uh, emerging <coughs> countries and urban <coughs> So, but on the other hand, that, uh, we have the very successful example uh, in, uh, in Azorbia. And in, uh, in Azorbia, we have the, China have a, uh, industrial uh, zone, industrial uh, park. And in the industrial park, and uh, we welcome the, we have the US investment, and we have very good uh, cooperation. So I think this is, a, this is a very good example. And maybe in the future, we, we expect that we look forward to having a more and more successful example uh, of our two country accomplish. Yeah, thank you. Okay, thank you for those, those great remarks and responses. Um, we now have your questions. Uh, so uh, just quickly, uh, if you can int introduce yourself. Uh, State your name and, and your, your organization, and then um, we will. Uh, do we have a roving mic? Uh, okay. And uh, and thanks in advance for keeping your questions as short as possible, uh, following the, the the lead of our panelists tonight. Um, yes, Bob, uh, here in the front, please first. Yeah. Hi, Bob Peterszak of the National Committee, and also Sidley Austin. Uh, thank you, gentlemen, for your very informative remarks. Uh, I like particularly your focus on the U.S. involvement, but you focus primarily on what business involvement might be. Uh, but obviously business in the U.S. can't get involved if the U.S. is blocking it. So there's going to have to be some governmental role uh, in, the, in, the, in the war in order for the U.S. private entities and financiers to have a role in China. Putting aside the question of what you think the U.S. might actually be willing to do, what would you see as the ideal role for the American government in working on one belt, one road? Yeah, uh, I think uh, the, the U.S. government can act a very positive role in the one belt, one road future process. Uh, now, the U.S. government has very huge and strong uh, soft power. Not only hard power, also soft power. And uh, even now, uh, a lot of countries still uh, trust American government and, uh, and follow up the American government policy. So I think, uh, yes, I admit that in the, in the process of one by one in the past four years, we, uh, we met a lot of challenge uh, in the policy. Uh, in the policy uh, communication. And a uh, few countries, uh, for example, India, you mentioned, uh, India always uh, suspect China's uh, ambition, strategic ambition. And they think, India think that uh, maybe China should be in the this, the, the <coughs> political uh, 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 in, India, in, in the South Asia. So if China, America uh, can cooperate in the strategy, so I think that will resolve the, uh, the, the security demand in, uh, in South Asia. So I think India needs the infrastructure. India needs a lot of investment. So I think the, the, in my opinion, the, the US government goes in the long term world very extremely so uh, we appreciate the President Trump's uh, uh, a little bit change because uh, in the last month uh, in the one by one forum, President Trump sent a level of much better than India. The Indian government didn't send any. 
<laughs> I don't represent the Indian government. <laughs> 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 yeah, I keep being okay, maybe uh, Dr. <laughs> uh, Professor Cha. <laughs> Thanks. Other right. responses? Any next question? I didn't hear. Okay, okay. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, uh, prof uh, Professor Zai? So if the U.S. government is willing to involve to OBR, it's good. But if not unwilling, it's also good. So you can find some cases from uh, macro level. For example, some consult consultant companies, some think tanks, are already involved to OBR. So I, I think the the wise men are always from the business circle. So if the businessmen are interested in OER, I think the government should be. So it's a matter of short response. I just ask a follow-up. What specifically do you think the government, U.S. government, could do? I know cooperation is, is wonderful, but what can it do that you think would be helpful for OER? So one important thing is uh, strategic coordination, because uh, according to my observation, most strategists of America believe uh, OBR is the grand strategy of China against the U.S. So the coordination between the government and the government is, is uh, crucial. Very good. I, I, I think that uh, strategic trust is very, very important. And uh, so many uh, public opinion, even I think, can Circles, they suspect that uh, one bell, one note changed the world order. Uh, U.S. established since the Second World War. So they suspect that uh, maybe one bell, one note can destroy the, the international liberal order. I think this, uh, this is not true. But I think that can, can Google can push this strategy. Okay, yes, thank you. In the back. William Gannis for Law School. Uh, question In terms of the magnitude of the money that will flow into some of the smallest countries along the one belt, one road, do you see the potential for distortions in the economies in terms of, say, asset bubbles and exacerbation of corruption? And what safeguards do you does China contemplate in terms of addressing that, in terms of rule of laws, contract, arbitration, things of that nature? Okay, maybe uh, I, I will have a quick response. Maybe my colleague have a, uh, as I, uh, you know, uh, yes, the, you know, the, uh, the, 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 as I said, the need for infrastructure in the uh, Belt and Road uh, countries is, is huge, uh, but, uh, uh, but it's, on the, it's in, on the paper, you know. When we uh, uh, execute or implement uh, this, uh, th this initiative, we actually, uh, on the business level, at the bank's level, uh, we will uh, do it on a step-by-step. -step. And very important point uh, will be in our mind is that we want to make sure that the project we are going to finance is really needed, is not wanted, is needed uh, in this particular country. And in his, and it should be compatible with his stage of development. So we will not do the project for the sake of just uh, you know, of this project. Uh, so we, what we the, at the development bank will do, we want to make sure that uh, the project, this country would like to would like to CDB to finance, is uh, consistent with his. Uh, his own, you know, uh, strategy or his own uh, strategic plan, and so, and also we will have to make sure that this part, this project, will be financially and economically sustainable in the long, long run. So in that case, I think we and and also, uh, as a because the, the the money for those projects is huge, uh, we. We are unable actually to uh, to to do all the financing, and also we will in the process. Actually, we want to cooperate with other banks to we call it the crowd in, you know, the private money. Of course, we would like to do the role of uh, the catalyst 
to jumpstart uh, start this process, but we will crowd in other money so to make sure that everybody will be happy. So we will not, I think, can distort or contribute to the bubble. I think uh, it's all based on the actual need. That's my Mark, can I just do a two-finger intervention? Yes, follow um, up. Because one, when you, you said that you think that many Americans are suspicious of OBOR because they think it's trying to overturn the world order rules that the US and Britain and Europe and other countries have put in place since World War I or II. Um, I don't think that's necessarily accurate. Um, I think, because when we think of the world order rules, we're thinking about certain conventions and certain treaties and people playing by certain rules. And there is suspicion among people in many countries that China for, as it grows larger and has a stronger economy and a larger army and is growing in so many, its economy is so extraordinary, that China has the ability and the power and some people think the will to do that. But, but, but that doesn't relate, I don't think, to OBOR. I think people are more suspicious of OBOR um, because they see it as competition, which is different than trying to change the world order. So they see it as competition, which they may or may not be able to compete with. But it also relates to what you just said, Mr. Leong, and I was very happy to hear you say that as someone who represents the bank, you have very strong feelings that you will not just fund something just to fund it because it's there. Because frankly, last night in the program that we heard, it had to do with OBOR and its effects on higher education and what that means for the global education system. And the speaker um, gave us some examples of things that are part of OBOR. And one or two of them were, for instance, a school in Malaysia, which is now an OBOR school. Mm -hmm. So you know, a, an outsider looks at that and says, well, what do you mean it's an OBOR school? What does that have to do with this one belt, one road strategy in which you're trying to? You know, so it, it, it seems to a lot of outsiders that because you know, China is very good about coming up with an idea, planning it, and then getting everybody behind it. So now every article you read in China Daily or People's Daily or academic journals or social media journals having to do with women's makeup, somehow there's a sentence in it about obor. So <laughs> your government gets the people of China powerfully behind an idea, and it suddenly becomes a given factor. Just the idea of it, even if you don't yet have concrete steps that are filling it out. So I think there's more the concern of, of why people don't trust it is, is this yet another Chinese idea that because the government says it's so and all the media says it's so and therefore it wants to be so, even if it includes things like this Malaysian school, which, you know, Malaysia might have had a school that China was going to cooperate with, whether you had OBOR or not. So everything now is going to become part of OBOR, even when it may have nothing to do with OBOR. Did you want to reply yeah, to that? Yeah, I want to say something about that. Actually, uh, we do have a sort of all-of-government approach to this Belt and Road idea. If I, as an academic, see what this whole idea has brought real change, as I experienced in China, is that it's for the first time ever, actually. It, for, it increase, increase, uh, increases the inter-fertilization of ideas among government, industries, academics. My major is the international studies. Um, I was called to join discussions by the Minister of Transportation, people who were working on maritime transport, and asked why. They said they wanted to, it's time to understand international politics and international law. So I would think if there is going to be an intangible but powerful impact, this whole thing is going to help idea upgrade the kind of collective intellectual capacity of the Chinese entities first and foremost. But second is that don't really, I mean, let me emphasize that again and again. If there's one idea that's behind this, we learn from our own 
practices. With, you know, uh, it's easier for me as an academic, academic person to say this rather than for those practitioners is that we really don't want to make the same old mistakes of you know, being accused of exacerbating another country's corruption or in having another project like in Sri Lanka where it fails very miserably. And if you look at, I think it was two, within the past week, the Supreme Court of China has issued two batches of rulings, cases, saying these are the ex exemplary cases they would rule on these kind of business disputes involving what is now packaged to be Belt and Road Initiative. In other words, we want to, to discipline our own companies as well. They have to have some sort of rule of the law. And that's whereby we are sincere, frankly speaking, when we talk about an American role or the post-war order whereby principles that are written in the Washington Convention on Investor State Dispute, New York Convention on Business Arbitration get applied. We, we need to update the uh, bilateral treaties we have with any country that's willing. Last but not least, the biggest cause of source, the most powerful source of failure in this Belt and Road Initiative, as I see it, actually comes from a government that comes to China with all these niceties of supporting China, but wanting cash, nothing but cash. And they forget to bring up, to use the cash to spur local capacity. Uh, I understand that this is an open session, but let me say it. For, for instance, uh, this is not going to be quoted in the media, okay? If you look at Indonesia, you look at Thailand, when they talk to us about the rail projects. The one thing that's so critically missing in their demands on China is to help them to, to have, let's say, a train, a railway uh, science college, to train their engineers mm -hmm. so that they start manufacturing. But instead, you hear, oh, you know, this is global competition. The Japanese have lower interest rates. The Americans have better reputation. So China, you figure it out. Do you give us lo even lower interest rates or else? The thing that's sorrowfully missing is what we can help do together. If there's one thing, I'm, this may, it may sound a little bit arrogant, but it's not so uh, baseless. If there is one thing these so-called uh, uh, other less developed countries can learn from China is what? You don't just take the cash. You demand some transfer of knowledge. You demand some transfer of capacity so that you grow up in doing the things by yourself. Even with the train, you can begin by making the seats rather than saying, hey, China, you want the one belt, one road to shine, right? You do everything, and I'm here to, no, we don't do that. We don't want to do that anymore. And we do want you to be part of this. As I said in another occasion, even when you're criticism, it's free service to us. It's friendly advice. OK, we have 10 minutes, and I right. have uh, nine questions. <laughs> so <laughs> we're going to do this. We're going to do this in two quick. We're going to do this in okay. two by two. So OK, I'm just first in the short you know, uh, questions. Uh, you talking about it too much about the uh, very um, observative, but I still want to know, is there a negative comments for your, this country, you know, over? I, I always am thinking, is that really and the needs for these country, you know, countries around the over area, okay? So that's what I would still want. Thank you. Okay, I believe you have the mic still in the back there? Yes. Um, yes, by Bruce Rosen. Um, Two-fold question. The, the, the principle of trust was, was raised, and I'm wondering how you look at this potential partners um, in Western Asia, otherwise known as the Middle East. A number of them um, are very hostile to each other, to put it politely, whether or not they're in a, an actual legal state of war. How do you see this as a way of changing that dynamic? And going to the U.S. specifically, um, our Midwest and Northeast is known as the Rust Belt, and everybody believes the rust came from China. Um, 
But one of the interesting things that's happened over there, as there's been um, disappearance of manufacturing jobs and shrinkage of population, is the role of the universities has become more pronounced. So we're left with some major research centers, like Pittsburgh, which used to be our steel city, and is now um, a medical and high-tech research center. So I'm wondering how you can be diplomatic and, and help to turn that around, to make it more palatable um, to Americans. Thanks for those questions. Uh, any quick responses from the panel? Hear more questions. Hear more questions. Okay, great. So we've got Michael and then Margo in the next batch. Uh, hi there. Thank you very much. Um, my name is Michael. I'm a PhD student here at the New School. Uh, I just wanted to ask a quick question about coal. I know that uh, the, uh, the World Bank in 2013 adopted rules that would make uh, investments in coal-fired power plants rare uh, and you know, an acknowledgement of the, the damages that climate change will wreak on the world. So I'm just wondering if there are any policies like that that we might expect, expect to see from, um, from the Chinese development bank. I'm Margo Landman from the National Committee, and I have a labor question. If there are going to be all these projects in many countries around the world, will they be built by Chinese workers or local workers or some combination of the two? Yeah, I, I know that some of the, the coal, export of coal-fired power plants has been brought up in the, you know, the business coverage of, of, uh, of OBOR. So that, that's, uh, I think, what Michael's question is also getting at. So any responses on those two? Yeah, okay. okay. I'll try to answer as much as I can. Uh, actually, we are having declining population to send Chinese workers overseas is getting more and more difficult. And countries like Burma have localization rates. Uh, many of our projects are uh, quite localized, partly mainly because, so that's not a real question. And with the World Bank rule on uh, coal-fired power plants and in relation to climate change, look, you are really asking poor people in a poor country without electricity to choose between your version of being responsible for the future of the earth and continuation of darkness. Let's face it. Yes, there is climate change. I'm not, I'm not here to do battle. Somewhere there has to be a middle way. Is it absolutely no coal? Or is it, let's say, we deploy the latest coal technology uh, possible for some, so that these people can uh, benefit from some electricity. So uh, I don't have time. I can go on now because partly because I work on uh, energy projects. Uh, there are problems. We we are not when when you in, re, in relation to your question about Western Asia. Look, the United States actually had a Silk Road project under Secretary Clinton. We look at that as well. We cannot hope to resolve all the questions. And uh, these, like I said, we are not committed to regime change in any country, nor are we committed to bail out anybody, and we don't want to be a liability, any country to be a become. So that's pretty much the Pittsburgh question. I understand uh, Professor David Otter from um, MIT and his team did a study linking America's misery to China, right, relating that to the word WTO, although he's, uh, China's membership in WTO. Uh, his message is much more complicated, but it gets simplified. So we, um, we are not quite sure what to do about uh, the Rust Belt situation. I do believe uh, the National Committee is playing a role, and uh, when local governors at, uh, from both China and United States are relating to each other, let's find a sensible way of relating to each other. So, okay. 
But one thing we should not forget over there in China is that Americans are not short of self-pride either. So this <laughs> needs to be a, a, we need to handle this very, very delicately. Right. Yeah. Yes, Dr. Wong. Very briefly. Uh, I think uh, about the global governance, or about how to involve the international uh, interaction or international uh, uh, governance, I think China now is still the students, new students. We, uh, we always learn from the U.S., not only for U.S. successful experience, but also U.S. feeling uh, uh, lessons. So one bell, one road, I think that uh, we, some, of, some part of one bell, one process, we did not very good. For example, one bell, one road is a very good story. It's a very, very good story. But China government, or Chinese, we didn't tell the story very well. We, because we are students, we don't know how to tell the story to the international society. But on the other hand, that is, uh, we learn a lot of lessons from U.S. For example, the Western issue that people ask. Because U.S., in the, in the past, U.S. often forced those uh, Western issues countries to change the region as a but now, China didn't. We just don't want to do the business with you. We don't want to add any political elements or political request to you. No problem, we respect your political visions. And uh, also, I think, uh, uh, back to the question about com competition, I think that uh, competition is very good issues, very good things, because competition can produce the innovation. Uh, so I think that uh, uh, don't worry about the competition in the international uh, uh, project or in everything. Uh, I think we have, a, in some area, we have a very good or positive uh, competition. Yeah. Right. Okay. Especially for the GFG. Thanks for those great responses. And let me hope in the next two minutes we can get out four brief questions and then give the panel one final word. So uh, thank you. Yeah, my, my question is for Mr. Lin. And uh, you mentioned that you finance the project in UK and the equipment is produced by France. And uh, in your 300 billion portfolio, do you have how much is invested in US? Did you finance any product in the US? Okay. And Martin? Thank you. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. OK, Martin first. Okay. Um, very quickly, Mr. Zhang, um, what would you like to see progress in US-Chinese cooperation on this, let's say, in the next five to 10 years? OK, and then this gentleman here, and then Aaron. Uh, Bill Cage is his name. I'm a Bill. freelance writer. Uh, two very quick questions. Uh, first one for Mr. Leon. Uh, could you tell us what, where you see the opportunities for lending for the bank? Which countries, what types of projects, uh, say in the next two years or so? Uh, and a second question, maybe for the panel uh, in general. Uh, China's had a problem with foreign exchange uh, outflows. Uh, how do you see that affecting the pace of development of the core? Great, thanks for those. And final question from Aaron. Uh, Aaron Legua from NYU Law School. Uh, following up on the comment about uh, you know labor conditions and who's going to be doing the work, if it's true that most of the work is being done by local you know, people in the local countries, I'm curious, uh, will there be any sort of insistence or oversight uh, of the standards used in those labor projects? So for instance, to make sure that Chinese companies abroad are not using child labor or conditions that maybe even are permissible under the laws of those localities, but are not consistent with international principles or even China's own standards for labor. Great. Last set of four questions. And let me just invite each yeah, of the I, panelists to uh, yeah. answer as many yeah, uh, because I, as they'd I, like. Uh, because I was, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, first, you know, to the, with regard to the uh, our lending to the U.S., uh, to be frank, is uh, quite small, quite small right now because uh, I think uh, uh, you know the, the the because we mainly follow the the companies, so maybe right now not so many uh, uh, investments uh, from uh, China side in the U.S. Uh, so, but of course, I think it's a you know, it's a, the, 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 a, a huge potential for us to do more. Yeah. So it's a, it's a not so much uh, of our lending to the U.S. Uh, on the questions, you know, uh, in the next few years, how you know CDB's um, uh, credit would would go? I think mainly we will still be. Uh, the priority areas will still be in the Eurasia and uh, uh, South Asia and the South a South Asia, you know. So around the, you know the neighboring countries of China, I think that's the still the priority areas. Uh, of course, including the uh, Africa as well. Sorry. Uh, with regard to the labor, I think uh, when we finance the projects, I think most of these projects is a combination of local and, but uh, of course, uh, local and the Chinese. But I think the majority will be taken by the uh, by the local labor. I think, but for the some skill or you know for the uh, uh, requirements, maybe there will be some Chinese uh, uh, star workers be sent there. But we will also do the training, you know, for to the local to take on when they're there. So there will be actually there are quite uh, many uh, immigration or job requirements of the host country. So we have to comply with. So I think that's a quick response. A uh, quick answer to the question what, uh, what I expect in the ideal situation US-China to cooperate next five years. Frankly speaking, our two countries can both benefit from demonstrating that China and the United States can indeed work together. Uh, I see specifically two issue areas where we ought to be making real progress in the next five years. One is the Bilateral Investment Treaty. We've had 34 rounds of formal negotiations dating back to 1982. If we keep talking about rule-based order, let's handle it among the first and second largest economies of the world. If we talk about rule of law, let's have some rules. You can always argue that China is not to be trusted. We've argued for some 30 bloody years. It's about time to move on or simply drop it. Now, second issue area, frankly speaking, is China and the United States must cooperate further on judicial cooperation. Earlier, you, you have questions about the foreign exchange outflows, right? A lot of this is some sheer criminality in the name of innovation. But at the end of 2008, they were never picked up again. The China and the United States stopped talking to each other about an extradition treaty. We are talking about real humans. So there's a huge legal loophole here for you know, creative, innovative, uh, different, uh, let's say, sheer criminals to exploit this. So if uh, these are actually, you know, we, we were not short of trying, but. <laughs> To me, these two projects, the BIT and probably the extradition treaty, which we have an experience working on, make some real progress on this. And both of our, of our countries will have much higher standing around you know, the other countries we want to relate to. I think that the localization uh, is a very uh, problem. Most of the China companies Second is, uh, uh, you know, in, 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 in the next five years, because yeah, you know, China government have uh, every five years they have a five year plan, right? And for the one by one, they have a very uh, extreme uh, uh, accent plan. That, for example, in the five years, China can three points uh, over. Uh, $8 trillion production uh, from the world. And also, China will invest uh, overseas over maybe uh, seven, uh, $750 uh, billion. Dollars. So, will be the maybe one uh, biggest uh, uh, OFDI country. So, I think it's a big, big opportunity. 
for, for US. <coughs> US should be the stakeholder of the one bill one vote. Thank you. So, okay. So I try my best to answer all the questions with one, one answer. Uh, what's the nature of OBOR? So it's a biggest business created by China government in this century. So China draw a very big cake for the future. So it's a, it's a business of, of this century. So uh, there are two logics. The first the government logic, you can negotiate the China government for your benefit. Therefore, the logic is uh, of the logic of a market, the market will adjust the OBR. So just think it's a business, you can do it very well. Uh, finish here. And those are very good words to conclude on. Let's please give our panel a <laughs>